really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, lovely interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. As I'm sure you know by now, I am David Lawrence, an American rugby fan who follows the game in all its forms all over the globe. As I'm also sure you'll know, this is not your regular weekly episode, but it's yet another bonus episode. And this time, we're here to look ahead to the upcoming EPCR tournaments. So today, I've got a very special guest. Johnny McGinty returning for his triumphant comeback. Uh, we'll be looking ahead to the first round of the Heineken Cup starting on Friday, December 9th. So very quickly, in case of my, in case any of my listeners are confused by what this whole tournament is about, I mean, it's incredible. There's just there's no American equivalent and nothing I can really compare it to. So if you're an American NFL fan, Imagine if there was also a successful top-level gridiron football league in Mexico, for instance. So then imagine the NFL would take off several weeks every season to compete in a competition between the top NFL teams, the top CFL teams, and the top, I guess it would be called the MFL teams. So three distinct and separate competitions bringing their best to face off against one another to prove who is not just best in their domestic competition, but in all of North and South America. Sounds cool, right? Well, that's basically what this is. The primary leagues I cover, apart from Super Rugby, all hit the pause button on their own competitions and duke it out for supreme bragging rights. It's tiered in two levels, with one competition for the top of the top, that being the Champions Cup or Heineken Cup, and a second for the almost as good known as the Challenge Cup. Uh, they run concurrently, and for me, you know, the only frustrating thing is the way it's broken up over such a long period of time. But, you know, also, to me, there's just... There's almost nothing better in rugby. I am so psyched. Okay. Joining us here on Scrum of the Earth is yet another representative from the Scottish Rugby Podcast, returning guest, the one and only Mr. Johnny McGinty. Johnny, how the heck are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. Nice to see you. I'm uh, enjoying it. Well. I didn't take our, our pod this week, so I'm having a little bit of a break and a secondment this week. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, well, the obvious two questions for you are, A, how was your estranged brother enjoying his first season with Bristol Bears? And, uh, and, and B, with the emergence of Ange Capuazzo, have you officially lost the title of the littlest fullback? <laughs> um, do you know, I think, depressively, I think uh, Capuzzo is actually heavier than me, unbelievably. Really? He's a, he's, a, he's a very tiny small man, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think he is. Uh, actually, well, I ch- you know, I measured myself against Minotzi not that long ago. Me and Minotzi were fairly similar, but I think I think Caputo was a little bit heavier. And, uh, wow. and yeah, nice, uh, you know, it's nice to see cousin AJ tear it up a little bit. Um, yeah, is he still? You know, someone someone believed me once that uh, that we were related. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The na- our names aren't even spelled the same. But um, I know, yeah, and he's Irish. Let's face it. He is. Yeah. Uh. So, of course, I've asked you here today to discuss one thing, and that is, of course, the state of English cricket. What do you think? Oh, wait, 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 sorry. <laughs> do you know, well, if you really want to speak about it, they had um, one of the highest run totals in test history today, so. <laughs> nope. 
that's about all I can tell you. I know because a couple of friends of mine were talking this morning about how many runs England had scored against Pakistan this morning. And I saw someone say it's one of the highest single days in Test cricket ever. That's all I know. Hey. That's, the of my, that's the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> if I pick another esoteric sport to follow, I mean, my life is over. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm at the limit of how many things I'm allowed to watch, I think. Yeah, exactly. Although it, it really <laughs> infuriates my wife, because, like, if anyone's talking about any sport, no matter where we go, I'll just, like, start talking about it. And eventually she's like, you need to stop just talking about all sports. She's like, find a sport you don't like. It's just it's good to fact. What can I say? Well, I've been, rugby has caused me to break up with the NFL entirely, so there's always that. Ooh. Do you know, I've um, I watched about two and a half quarters of Red Zone week one this season, and that's it. I've, mm. not, watched the, I've not watched a full Packers game at all this season, which is oh, bad, right. but then also so are the Packers, so... Very bad. And I, can and I just say, I'm also still, uh, I've got a 65% chance of making the playoffs in my league of record in fantasy, despite not watching hey. any games of the year. So. <laughs> but sometimes that's the best way to go. Uh, the the Bill Simmons, the big podcaster here, he, he one year laid out all his NFL predictions and he competed against his dog. He would basically put the two, two logos in front of his dog and whichever one he sniffed first, that was his dog's pick. And he absolutely lost. <laughs> I love to see stuff like that. You know, this is that's one of my favorite things about the football world cup. We will get to rugby eventually. Um, is that there's this, I don't know why it's like a kind of almost exclusive to well, I guess soccer, because I forget that you're an American podcast. Um, one of like one of the things that happens at, for the soccer world cup is there's animals all over the world that predict games. Oh, really? So, um, there's an aquarium in Germany that's got an octopus that does it. Um uh, I think I heard as, that. a zoo, I think, in I want to say Singapore with a monkey and like, and there's, there's maybe six or seven animals around the world that, that predict world cup games. It's really, really weird, but I love watching it. Well, uh, I, I'm vaguely aware that the United States have a match against the Netherlands tomorrow. And uh, someone reminded me of the, the line from, I think it's the third Austin Powers. You know, the things, the two things I hate most are intolerance of other people's cultures and the Dutch. <laughs> Okay, so sorry, I had the wrong notes there. Um, you're actually here <laughs> to talk all things European Cups, or really more so the Heineken Cups. I'll start with an obvious one. How do you like these competitions? Do you look forward to them each year, or are they kind of a distraction from you know no, what I, we're now calling the URC? I love them. Um, I like the URC a lot more, to be honest. And like this is the sort of thing that gets you kicked out of certain sections of european rugby but i like the urc a lot more than i've liked any of the previous iterations of the pro 14 pro 12 whatever you want to call it oh wow um, i like the way they do the urc i like the south african teams it's i mean sustainability wise not great um we'll probably touch on how sustainability wise having them in the european cups is even more not great but actually i really like it and even even with my renewed Fervor for enjoying the URC, there's still nothing like the European Cups. Like, yeah, they're just they're just great. You're also speaking so, to probably the only person in Europe who both understands and likes the way they draw the European Cup now, and I oh. think it's brilliant. I think it's really really good. And um, we had a huge conversation on our pod about it the first year. Um, and in fact, again this year, where people just cannot get their heads around how it works, and actually, it, it really annoyed me because when they seeded and they drew the fixtures 
for this year, there was like professional journalists in Europe complaining on Twitter that it was too confusing and going, oh, I don't understand how we're supposed to follow this. And it's a stupid way to draw a tournament. I'm like, this is your job. Like I can understand it. And I actually think it's a really good way of doing it. So given that it's your job to know this, why don't you just explain it to everyone and stop being a baby about it? The, the way the Heineken Cup and the Challenge Cup sort of then intertwine later on, I do find a little confusing. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the first year I started watching the European Cups, I totally didn't comprehend any of it. It was just an inexplicable mystery. There, mostly, there, there's just no American equivalent to this. And then, yeah. of course, sort of after a few rounds, I finally figured it out, and I was just all in, and I was ready to continue, only to discover it has massive gaps between weeks which at the time was like devastating. Um, I, I bring it up j just on the tiny off chance that any new listeners are in the same place I was. You know, Johnny, are you okay with the, I guess, the calendar year of the European Cups? I'm, I'm broadly not okay with the calendar in rugby anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the way, the way that European fixtures work is, is just like a factor of the things that I'm not okay with. Um, Mm. It, it kind of makes sense and to be honest like obviously you know like you say there's there isn't an american equivalent but the european cups in rugby are getting more and more like the european competitions in soccer are here and they've always been like that and so the things like the the lower place champions cup teams dropping into the challenge cup they've done that in uh, european soccer for i think probably seven or eight years now they do the same the same thing where you know you get a couple of rounds of games and then you get a break and then you get another couple of rounds and it's one of those things that again like I guess America doesn't have the equivalent of this but when when you're running um, two competitions plus internationals it you kind of have to just you fit them in where you can and even though the European competition I think most rugby fans think is the is the premier competition I think you if you asked. 100 rugby fans would you rather win a Heineken Cup or your domestic league most people are going to say a Heineken Cup mm. but you, you know you, you still have to get your league fixtures played you have to get your European fixtures played and you've got to and in the URC now we've now got obviously the international breaks for the the autumn and stuff as well so you fit the fixtures in where you can unfortunately and it's it's a bit of a mess but it's it's a rugby problem not a European Cup problem I think. So to be specific this year we have these two weekends just before Christmas, uh, starting you know starting not this weekend tomorrow, but the week after that, then there's a three week gap, then there's two more rounds in January, and then and I think this is the whammy that that really threw me for a loop that first time. Um, after the Edinburgh versus Saracens match, which is on my birthday by the way, it's not until wait for it April that it comes back. I mean, you know, th these teams are going to be very, very different in April than they are in January. But I, is that just one more quirk? Um, does that make it more interesting? Johnny, tell me why that is a good idea. So you're in charge of the EPCR and you got to solve it toot sweet. I personally don't think it's that good of an idea, but the problem is as much as we say that like we love the Heineken Cup, the Heineken Cup is a premier club competition. Um, we'd love to have that be the focus. The premier competition outside of the World Cup, and I actually personally think including the World Cup in all of rugby is the Six Nations. So you're mm. never going to get matches played during the Six Nations. And so we have like, no matter what you do, February and March is out the window. You can't play games then. So either 
we jump into the quarterfinals before Christmas and then you've got to kind of, you find a logjam with the league fixtures or you do more games after the Six Nations, in which case you get what we had last year where I think, was it the third weekend in June was the final of the mm. Heineken Cup last year? And then it was like almost July by the time the top 14 final, final was played. Yeah. And then you've got summer tours and yeah, it's a mess. And you know, like I say, it's it's... It's not a European Cup problem. It's a, it's a problem for, for all of rugby. Um, but you are competing with the Six Nations and there's nothing like, you, there's never going to be anything you can do about that. What do I hear in the background? Is it a cat or is it a child? It's a child, yeah, sorry. <laughs> she, is, she is in the other room and I have got the door closed, but unfortunately, yeah, she's making a lot of noise. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I, I've been there, no problem. That's, um, um, that's so... actually the quieter of the two as well. The other one will probably start up in a few minutes when he just oh, get his dinner till I'm finished. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I say just put him outside, let nature take its course, you know? <laughs> so there's a week off between the quarterfinals and the semifinals. And then after the semifinals, it's a maddening two weeks before the final. I mean, what is this, the Super Bowl? Um, <laughs> Do you know, I actually think that the, that the Super Bowl is probably where they got it from because... Hype week? Uh, yeah, and I, and I like it because what it is is really good prep time for teams that are in a European final. I personally, mm. in the extremely unlikely event of Glasgow making it to a Heineken Cup final, I would love to have two weeks to, of, no, of knowing who we're playing to prepare. That's like that's how you well, get the quality of finals you get, I think. I wonder too, though, that two-week block, I feel like that's a good chance for a particularly clever coach to snag a couple of wins sort of while nobody's looking, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the other thing, you know, it's it's a big part of, of coaching now. And it always has been basically since since we were running three competitions at, at the same time, is that you've got to look at who goes. And actually for the URC teams, even more so now, because there's going to be URC teams going to South Africa after the Six Nations. Um, and that's how we saw results get flipped on their head. Because if you look at last year's URC, the South African teams were nowhere until the end of the Six Nations and teams like Leinster, then have had all their Irish internationals away at the Six Nations, have got European knockouts to prepare for, have still got to send a team to South Africa for three weeks. And then mm. Leinster must have sent their fourth or fifth choice team to South Africa, got battered yeah. twice. And all of a sudden, that, all of a sudden- not a, problem for Leinster. No, yeah. not a problem for Leinster. No. I think you could be That's, on the E side and you're fine. We, uh, we might come on to this, but I think the, the involvement of South African teams is, um, it's something that's taken a lot of people by surprise this year. So mm. that'll be interesting. Well, out of curiosity, what is your favorite rugby time of year? You know, like when the most things that are happening that you're sort of the most interested in, I'm really tempted to say that this upcoming period when, when yeah. you've got Europe sort of getting going and the Christmas derbies are right around yeah. the corner. I, love I would Christmas. say the same. Yeah, I'd, I'd say this, this like eight to 12 week block where we go two rounds of Europe, Christmas derbies, Six Nations is just like, it's just a great run of just yeah. really exciting stuff. It's like a whole bunch of extra gifts. Yeah. So, as I say, uh, de December 9th is when we officially kick off the Heineken Cup. It's going to be an incredible weekend. Um, in, uh, in the Champions Cup, there's just one Friday match. Um, the, the team I've been calling the Lowly Irish facing uh, Montpellier. And uh, then on Saturday, there's a full slate of seven games, beginning with sell, uh, the sell Sea Sharks selling seashells down by the seashore. Easy for you to see. Yeah, really easy. Um, 
so so with the lowly Irish Montpellier and then the Sharks versus Harlequins, both those opening fixtures represent the first time these teams have ever met in Europe. Uh, in fact, it, <laughs> any matchup involving any South African team in Europe is necessarily going to be the first time they've met. I, I can't believe it took me until just about now for that to sink in. Um, <laughs> I don't I, think you're the only one I have to say. <laughs> well, this is, um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a long-standing theory of mine that the EPCR, when obviously all the negotiations with the URC and stuff were going on, and they agreed to take South African teams into Europe, I think a lot of administrators and probably a lot of people involved in a lot of uh, DOR roles and things in the Northern Hemisphere thought that that we might get like a token South African team in the Heineken Cup this year. I do mm. not think that they expected three teams to crash in the first year. It's And I don't think people are ready for it. We obviously are URC fans of we've, we're in our second season now. Um, but yeah, but like the, the French team, uh, there's at least one, I think it's Lyon. Uh, I'd have to look again, but um, at least one French team has to make a trip in the Heineken Cup down to South Africa. Like that is going to be a brand yeah. new thing for them. Yeah, Leon, Leon are, are, and not just South Africa, Leon are going to the Bulls um, in the first weekend, right. which is, you know, that's, the Bulls are a serious side and it's serious altitude. It's uh, that's going to be something that they've not really experienced before. Um, Quinn's down as well to to the Sharks, and I think any URC fan that knows anything about playing the South African teams knows that playing the Sharks at the moment is not a fun time. It makes me wonder if the SRU will find some reason to threaten to sue. <laughs> Unless you're Cardiff, obviously, I have to say hands up that uh, Cardiff went down to Durban last week and absolutely turned over the Sharks, which. That was the that was probably nobody else would be that lucky. It was it was great, and I, it looks like the the big key is have it pour down buckets on you while you're there. <laughs> and also, I mean, I also I'm not going to take it away from Cardiff, but it helped that Elizabeth wasn't playing, Khaleesi wasn't playing, my pimpy wasn't playing. I think yeah, by, the time, by the, yeah, by the time Quinns get down there next weekend, you're going to find the Sharks are fully operational again and. It'll be a long, <laughs> long weekend for Harlequins, I think. Well, you, you're kind of touching on it. So my fear is South African teams are going to acquit themselves quite well in Europe, and that's going to just turn into another argument for them to join Six Nations, which I dread. Johnny, please tell me that's not happening. Yeah, I don't think it's happening. I th- um, it depends on the money, that's it. And like that's, that's what it is with everything Uh-oh. in rugby at the moment, especially with... You know, the way that CVC have bought up so many shares in so many competitions and they are shareholders now in the Six Nations. If they think that inviting in the Springboks is what's going to make it worth it, they're going to make them a serious offer. And the thing is, the Rugby Championship are making no effort to keep them at the moment. You know, there was no interest mm. in keeping them in Super Rugby. Uh, they weren't overly upset when they dropped out of the Rugby Championship last year. They seem like they the Southern Hemisphere competition seems to have just like basically completely lost interest in South Africa. Uh, whereas obviously, you know, the URC quoted them quite heavily, that's gone really well. I think Europe's going to be a bit of a wake-up call for EPCR because you're right. I think the South African teams are going to come in and, and equip themselves very well. And I think we'll see a lot of them at the business end of the tournament. And if CVC looks at that and goes, well, there's there's some serious money to be made there, I wouldn't be surprised to see them offer the Six Nations to South Africa. I wouldn't like it. I don't want it to happen. But I don't. I, I'm sorry. I don't think you heard me. I said, please tell me that's not happening. <laughs> I asked. I, I would if I could. 
so anyway, the uh, the lowly Irish facing Montpellier, they have them twice, and then the Stormers twice. How do you see that going? It looks like more more bad news for the uh, for the Exiles. If it's not four losses for London Irish, I'll be surprised. Um, yeah. The only thing that really they've got going for them is that, you know, we all famously make fun of how French teams don't care about playing away games in Europe. And, mm. and Montpellier are the absolute poster child for that. Oh, right. Like, Mon- Montpellier, I don't think I've ever seen Montpellier send a first 15 to an away game in Europe, ever. I'm sure someone will correct me. But, I mean, uh, last year... When they had, they still had Pollard, and I think they had Garbisi by that point last year, and they sent some like nineteen-year-old fly half to to games in England. I mean, like they literally could not care less about playing away in Europe. They're still a serious team. The you know they're they're still going to send a, a decent team, but I don't think that'll be as hard work as two games against the Stormers will be. And and it's it's scary. I think if you're a London Irish fan. It's probably quite scary that that your one chance of getting a win in the, the pool stages is to beat Montpellier at home. <laughs> yeah. That's that's your shot. <laughs> well, uh, you you also in fact touched upon the Harlequins having to go down to face the Sharks, and then so Harlequins have two games against the Sharks and two against Racing ninety two. Um, is that the toughest you know pairings you see in this in in the pool stages? It's uh, yeah, it's pretty unpleasant, isn't it? Like <laughs> you, you wouldn't want to be Quins, and you know Quins and Quins are a good team. They, if they can get on the front foot, they'll surprise a lot of people. And then the other thing about about Harlequins is they don't seem to understand what the concept of being beaten is. Yeah, like like Quins could easily be thirty points down with fifteen minutes to go and go. Oh, it's alright. We'll score thirty points. Yeah. Um, whether they're able to do that against either Leinster or Racing, or sorry, Sharks or Racing. Right. And I've just sat here and said, I know exactly how these pools work, and I've just got it wrong. Um, <laughs> we will see. We shall see. Well, I think you're, you were probably skipping ahead because, of course, Racing 92's other team is Leinster. Leinster. I wonder, yeah. maybe we buried the lead. Maybe that's, the, maybe that's actually the hardest matchups. Yeah, I yeah. Um, that's so in fact, so Racing versus Leinster in that throughout their history, Leinster have won all three times they've clashed, but Racing were closer than, than they'd ever been just last November. Um, is this the year they finally get over that hump? Maybe in Paris. Mm. The thing about the thing about Racing is obviously you know they keep adding pieces and and they keep adding. You think that they couldn't possibly add any more players, and then they add another player, and. This year they've added Trevor Nyakani. Finn Russell's been playing remarkably well for, for a player who's out of form. He's been fantastic for, for Racing this season. Um, so it'll, I think the Paris game, the, the Leinster-Racing game in Paris will be, potentially should be absolute fireworks, but then what you can never rule out with Leinster is that they just go in and go, no, we're not going to let you play. We're just going to do what we do. We'll grind it for 80 minutes. And if Racing can find a way to unlock that and play the way that that Racing like to play, it'll be interesting. But I fear that Leinster are just going to drag them down. So next up, we have Gloucester versus Bordeaux Begla, or as I'm calling them, the Border Beagles. Um, <laughs> historically, these teams are even at two and two, with Gloucester winning by a single point last time they met. Though to be fair, that was seven years ago. Um, you know, do you have any keys to this particular matchup? 
this might be the trickiest one of the round because mm. the these are two teams who are capable of incredible performances uh, and also capable of like spectacularly soiling themselves. And I've seen yeah. I've seen both do both in like the last eighteen months, probably. Gloucester, they do this really annoying thing where you think they finally turned the corner, and then it just all like comes crashing down again. And it's yeah, it's like it they remember. Be, They're like, oh yeah. wait, we're Gloucester. I remember now. It's, it seems to be taking longer and longer for it to come crashing down than it used to. So this might be the year that they could maybe hold it together till like. Till you say, like you say, like April time, maybe that's when they're going to collapse this year. We'll have to wait and see. So Claremont versus the Stormers, La Rochelle versus Northampton Saints, and Bulls versus Lyon. Those are all first-time matchups. And then finally, Cast will be home for Exeter. Those two sides have split their two meetings evenly. Um, who is most likely for you to get a road win out of those four matchups? Again, your options would be the Stormers, the Saints, Lyon, or Exeter. Probably comes down to either the Stormers or Exeter, I would think. Um, mm. Probably the Stormers. The thing is, um, these South African away games are a bit of a wild card because we've spoken before about are they going to come fully loaded to all these games or are they going to take it a bit French and send development teams to Europe? Because it's a, it's a big ask for all of these teams, of not only the South African teams, but the European teams that have drawn them you're now asking people to, to send their full European strength squad on a long haul away trip for a week. And that's, yeah. it's not something that we've ever really done before. Even in the, in the URC, you know, they, they've scheduled those games so that you play your two games in South Africa at a time or the South, South African teams come up here for three or four weeks at a time and you pick a touring squad and you'll go down there with 40 players and play your two games and you're there for three weeks and you come back. We're now asking them, to sort of like fly down on Wednesday, fly back on Monday or however they're going to do it. Mm. So it, it remains to be seen, I think, what sort of South African teams are coming north. If, if the sort of Stormers team who play in Cape Town in the URC when their Springboks are at home comes up, they should handle Claremont fairly easily. Whether, they, mm. whether that's the team they bring or not, we'll have to wait and see. So the, uh, on Sunday, then, the, I guess that's the 11th, it'll be the other Sharks, Stale, taking on Ulster. And as I mentioned on my show last week, you know, that's the current number two versus the current number two for the Prem and the URC. How good is that? Is that going to be your game of the week? I think it's got potential. It's probably that. It's either that or Racing against Leinster. And again, you know, we talked about that one. It depends what sort of game plan that ends up being. That, that Sale-Ulster game could be brutal yeah like that, that that's a couple of teams whose forwards do not mess around and uh, and it could be fairly interesting i think i don't necessarily think it'll be the classiest most exciting game to watch of the weekend but it's almost mm. certainly going to be one of the best ones i think you haven't looked at any weather forecast well no it's still a week and a, it's more than a week away that would be pointless to even look but <laughs> I, I, I am curious like halfway through next week i feel like it's worth looking at weather forecasts for where these different games are being played yeah yeah the durban one especially because like we already spoke about uh with cardiff it could get pretty messy down down there so that could be <laughs> that could be a, a, be a big factor especially with it being harlequins like harlequins are not going to want a torrential durban rainstorm 
for 80 minutes. That's going to make their game pretty difficult. By the way, this has nothing to do with it, but I, I read somewhere that they're going to try out Don Brandt on the wing this weekend. Did you see that? No. That I might hope be that's the true. thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he can do anything. I think that's fine. Yeah, I think you're, you're probably right. So, of course, then it'll be Saracens setting their sights on Edinburgh. Um, I have to admit, I was surprised to see their history was just two and one in favor of the, of the series. I'd completely forgotten somehow Edinburgh's lone victory just over a year ago. Um, and yeah, it's actually, that was a great game. if you actually look at all three of those results, you know, Edinburgh won last year. It was close, 18 to 21, but the other two were full smackdown by Saracens, 40 to seven before that, and then 45 to zip in 2012. Is that significant at all? I don't think that Edinburgh, well, actually, no. Saracens might batter them, <laughs> to, be, to be perfectly honest. I mean, um, last year was an outlier. It was it was the Challenge Cup. It was it was a decent Saracens team, but it was a Saracens team that was played in the championship. I mean, traditionally, the European games, the first two, um, are a bit more like they are this year, where, where you're talking about Saracens being one of the very top teams and Edinburgh being one of the teams that kind of is on the cusp of could go either way between the Challenge Cup or the Champions Cup. That's not mm. just me taking the opportunity to have a shot at Edinburgh, by the way. That is like how it happens. Um, so I, th- I think this is a lot more sort of true to form, a lot more of the sort of type of game that, that we expect to see. That being said, Edinburgh, although they are an eighth qualifier in the Champions Cup this year, are a much better team than they have been when they've been an eighth qualifier before. You know, they're mm. they're flying this year. Um, they've they've put a real, real good team out to play Munster uh, tomorrow. And if they if they manage to turn Munster over and and bring that same team down to, to London for Saracens next weekend, they'll be on a roll. Um, it should be worth worth a watch at least. And it might not be as bad as the first two, but I wouldn't expect it to be as close as the last one, is what I would say. It turns out that Buffelli guy is pretty good. He's yeah, he's not bad. We were speaking about this the other week. I don't know if we spoke about it at the pod or if we just um talked about it amongst ourselves. But potentially Edinburgh may have the best back three of any club in the world, I think. Although oh. I've just looked at the the European Cup fixtures and discovered we're going to talk about the other contender for that right now. <laughs> oh nice. Well, uh what I've got next is Munster facing Toulouse at Thoman Park. There's some real history between these these teams. That, they've played each other eight times in Europe. Munster barely have the edge. They've won four. Toulouse won three and then one draw between them. So this is a, a big one. Munster had a really rough start to the beginning of this year, but seemed to have turned it around. Um, have they finally found their stride this year? I don't think so. Mm. But also, I don't think there's anybody who's ever taken more than a passing interest in in rugby club rugby uh, that would rule out Munster in Europe ever especially Munster Mm. at home Um, there's you know there's the meme of those European nights at Tobin Park but but like it became a meme for a reason do you know what I mean Mm. Uh, and and Munster in the Heineken Cup at home are a completely different team to basically any other Munster team Uh, that one will be absolute fireworks and, you know, I, I just said Edinburgh might have the best back three in the world with, obviously, Van der Merwe, Graham and, and Buffelli. But if there's a contender, Toulouse are going to put out Cheslin Colby, Ange Capuzzo and David Ninashvili, and that's a fairly serious contender. So Yeah. Ninashvili, is he still only, like, 20 years old, too? 
something like that. Yeah, and Capuzzo's not much older than that either. Yeah, well, he looks thirteen. He, he looks like uh, <laughs> he looks like Louis Rizamit's little brother. <laughs> yeah, that will uh, that will be a dynamite game. That one, and you know, like I say, Monster have you're right have not had a great start to the URC. Uh, would be being polite about it. Mm-hmm. Um, they are improving. I don't think they've improved that much yet. But Monster in the URC and uh, Monster in the Champions Cup are like you know the little dog meme with the like the tidy little dog and the big muscly dog. Oh yes, that's, <laughs> that's Monster in Europe. <laughs> well, I mean, we've kind of said every one of these matches so far is going to be fireworks. Like I'm so excited for it. Every matchup is going to be great, except maybe. <laughs> Yep. The ending of the round. Maybe we, we might end with more of a whimper than a bang. It'll be Ospreys taking on the enigmatic Leicester Tigers. Um, odd bit of history between them. Two wins for Ospreys, two draws, and four wins for the Tigers. One of those draws was their last meeting, which was way back in 2013. Obviously, you know, neither team is any anywhere near the same. When teams meet this infrequently, does that history actually matter to any of these players? Like some of their players may have been pre-teens when they last watched these clubs play. Yeah, and and I think it depends who the teams are. Um, without sounding like some of the Welsh rugby Twitter lunatics, um, the Welsh regions, I personally don't think, have the same sort of like mystique and draw as some of the some of the Welsh clubs did like Mm. if you're talking about like going back in time in the Heineken Cup and the Champions Cup uh, Leicester and Neath and Leicester and Swansea will have had some absolute ding-dong battles much the same way as as Cardiff and Toulouse before it was before it was Cardiff Blues or Cardiff Rugby or wherever they are this week um, interesting some absolute crackers and and you know and I hate I hate to even like give that oxygen because that's what the most insane people on Welsh rugby Twitter say <laughs> but I think I think for all of the for all of the kind of sides in Europe um, other than the Irish provinces the URC teams probably don't have that kind of draw and that kind of mystique the English and French teams even if they haven't played each other for 15 years almost certainly do you know like something like Leicester against Bordeaux or uh, Leicester, even Leicester, something like Leicester against Stade Francais when, when they were not an absolute clown show. Even if they haven't played for 10, 15 years, there's European finals in their history. There's massive knockout games in their history. And they have mm. that with some, with some of the old Welsh club teams. They certainly have it with the Irish provinces. I don't think they have it with the Welsh regions. I'm going to have like Welsh truthers in my Twitter now. <laughs> oh, they're already there. <laughs> So, Johnny, I know we've we've only looked at the very first round. We don't yet know how terribly wrong we're going to be about everything we just said. Uh, but nevertheless, I've got to get you on record for sort of short-term and long-term stuff. Um, and first off, actually, you kind of alluded to this. This is almost a side question. Traditionally, I understand the French teams are the ones who sort of bring the most, I guess, beef to these tournaments. The, the, that overwhelming physicality is sort of the, their hallmark in Europe. But now... We have, South, we have South African teams. Is the inclusion of South Africa a bad piece of news for the French clubs in general? I think so, yeah. Um, 
especially the fact that you know a lot of the big name South African players who who would have been the linchpins of being really mean in the French packs in the last couple of years are back in South Africa now. Mm. You know, even Etzebeth's back with the Sharks. Um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, again, the, the problem with this, and I've got so many theories about so many theories about the South African teams, and I'm so excited to see them, but. I don't think we're really going to be able to judge them until after the first round and we see what the teams look ah, like. Interesting. Um, I think, you know, I think if if all the South African teams come up and bring their academies, then a, a French pack at home that's got its Six Nations players in it will handle a South African academy team pretty handily. Um, I think if the South Africans bring their spring box up and bring up a fully loaded team, I'll probably feel some of the impacts from here of some of those games. So, <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's, uh, it's really interesting. One of the things I'm most excited about is I want to see I want I want to see some team sheets from these South African teams and, and find out what's going to happen. So, in the Heineken Cup, give me a team that you have a theory that you know might take it a little easy, not take it quite as seriously as they might and end up sort of underperforming in Europe this year. Take your pick from the top 14. (laughs) (laughs) Cast probably would be the one I'd be, I'd be most looking at for that. Um, You know, we we said this already, uh, French teams traditionally don't, don't put too much effort into their away games. The, The top 14 season is ridiculous as well. It's like the most attritional, competition i think you'll ever see in any sport it's brutal so they've got you know they've got 700 domestic games to play and then we're asking them to play all these all these european games as well and they're losing players for the six nations and stuff um the french teams who have who have which french teams have got away games in the first round montpellier bordeaux leon leon are in south africa in the first round i think if leon go to the yeah. games of the first round and get stomped all over by the bulls you might just see them check out of the the Heineken Cup completely after that because Interesting. it's it's really difficult now if you if you lose a first game or a first two games to get anywhere they could not give less of a hoop about the Challenge Cup they barely mm. care about some of them barely care about the Heineken Cup if if Leon get stomped by the Bulls and then have a, have a difficult second game you might see them completely check out um, likewise cast if Exeter go to cast and turn them over at home in the first game, then then that'll be them, I think. Uh, the French teams in general, but probably those two are the two that I would say I don't expect their, their interest in being involved in the Champions Cup to stay around for very long. So it occurs to me, like, every year that happens. So with some of the French teams, are like, oh, okay, it's over. We're just checking out. We're going to send, like, our C squad. It's really blatant. And every year people complain about it. And every year they sort of say there should be rules about this. There should be, a, you know, they should be forced to sit. But I mean, what would that rule even look like? How do you say, no, 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 those guys aren't good enough. You need these guys. Like, there can't be just like a list. So, I mean, is that is that ever going to yeah. change? Is there any way to enforce anything like that? I don't think so. Because for all of, you know, it's logistically difficult and all of those things, it's also the opposite of player welfare. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, loads of people are asking are asking loads of governing bodies to reduce the number of games. Yep. Um, whether the LNR will ever reduce the number of top 14 games is, is extremely unlikely. Um, but you can't start saying you've got to play your best players for all of these games because some of them are going to be playing 
10, 11 months of the year anyway, and you give them the weeks yeah. off when, when you can. And if the French teams choose to make that the European weeks, then I don't think there's a lot we could do about it. Does it, does it kind of spoil the later stages of especially the Challenge Cup for you? Do you just kind of stop watching those games when you know that at least one team has just checked out? Uh, at the moment, it's basically impossible to start watching the Challenge Cup uh, because they don't televise it here. Really? Um, yeah, so so last year, uh, BT, who's our who's our European broadcaster, they, they bought the European rights uh, all in. And basically didn't bother to broadcast the Challenge Cup until the later stages of the knockouts. Yep. So if you wanted to watch the Challenge Cup, you had to you, you paid a fiver and you streamed it without a fiver a game and streamed it without commentary on the, the EBCR website. And, and like yeah. I love Glasgow, but I don't care enough about Glasgow to watch us play Perpignan in the Challenge Cup on my laptop and pay a fiver for it. Um, <laughs> well, I'm I'm shocked because so a few years ago, you could where I am, you could watch uh, all of the matches, Challenge Cup and Champions Cup, through the EPCR website. You basically just gave them your email address. There was no registration or anything, and it was free. Last year, they were like, well, we're going to stream them again, but not until the knockout stages. So none of those things were available. Suddenly, this year, everything is on. Uh, you know, oh. Flow Rugby, who I, I often call Blow Rugby because of how unreliable they are. Nevertheless, they have a butt-ton of content, and this year... They have both cups. I've got three European matches on Friday the 9th because they're doing everything at once. I'm, I'm so psyched. I'm, I'm amazed that I have access to more rugby than you. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's, that's really good. I'll, I will need to double check that, that we are not getting increased, but I can't see them going from uh, asking us for a five or a game to making it free. I think that's unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really even happened. bothered to check because it was so terrible last year, but I will check and see if I, if I can watch it for free. I'll watch it. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, anyway, I kind of got distracted there. The um, the other side of that coin about, you know, a team that maybe checks out a little bit or doesn't give it their all. What about a team that you think might surprise a few people? So, you know, when I look at a team like Gloucester, we already mentioned, they were off to a hot, a hot start in the Prem this year. Do they sort of then keep their powder dry in Europe to concentrate on making that top four in the Premiership? Um, who's it? You know, who's a team who's going to surprise a few people with how they do this year? That's, you know, that's trickier than working out who's not going to be good. Um, <laughs> I, almo I almost want to say Munster because of how bad they've been in the URC. Mm. But but then, you know, I, like I said, when we talked about the game itself, um, Munster, Munster doing well in Europe is not a surprise to anyone. Um, they have been historically bad in the URC this season, though. Um, so yeah, let's let's see. Munster are going to be significantly better in Europe than they are in the URC. I think I think if there are teams out there uh, stupid enough to have watched Leinster's URC games this season, uh, Munster sorry's URC games this season, and think, all right, that's fine, that'll be no bother, they'll be in for a nasty surprise mm. when they get to those European nights at Tolman Park. <laughs> it's funny you, you reference these memes those memes don't exist here or at least i've never seen them <laughs> you can send me some of those i'm sure i would get a kick i out. will do it's um it's a uh, commentary teams here and in particular irish commentary teams um you would need to take your shoes and socks off to count how many times they would mention that over the course of a monster game <laughs> so out of the two scottish teams it's edinburgh who are in the heineken cup at least for now um, but, but I mean, they're playing the freaking Saracens twice. Like, how is that going to go? 
I think I think surprisingly all right, to be honest. Um, yeah. You know, like I said, this isn't the Saracens that Edinburgh played last year, but it's also not the Edinburgh that the Saracens played last year. Um, yeah. I would, I if I was Edinburgh, I'd be looking at at least two bonus points. Oh. Um, okay. Edinburgh can, Edinburgh can score tries. Um, whether they'll win either game, I don't know. But you know they've got a good chance of taking a bonus point or two from both of those games. I'd be if I was an Edinburgh fan, I'd be pretty happy with that. Well, their other two games, of course, are against Cast, who we've already talked about. They're sitting at twelfth out of fourteen in the top fourteen. Um, do you see Edinburgh getting to two and two with a couple of bonus points? And will will that be enough? I th- I think Edinburgh have got maybe not a great chance, but a decent chance of making the knockout. Because you know we've we've spoken we've spoken about French teams already, um, Cast because the top fourteen is so mad. I don't think Cast should have been a number one seed last year, but somehow mm. ended up. I think because I think they probably benefited from the fact that a couple of French teams actually started quite well in Europe last year, and more of them cared about Europe than usual. I mean, we obviously had an all French final, um, and that meant that the top fourteen was kind of up for grabs because more teams were were caring more about Europe and, and cast have ended up maybe a higher seed than they should have been. Edinburgh have got a really good chance in two games against cast and then see what they can get from Saracens and, and see if they can maybe squeeze into the, the quarterfinals. So we've already talked about, you know, some of the great players on Edinburgh this year, but who is somebody that is sort of under the radar? Who do you think might prove to be a standout player for Edinburgh in your, specifically in Europe this year? Um, can I say Bill Mata because he hasn't played for so long? Oh yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. He's Bill. he's and he's back. Like if anybody had forgotten what Bill Mata brings to Edinburgh, they remember now because he I has been. Him. He's had a great couple of weeks. Um, I think being in the Scotland setup over the autumn's been probably invaluable for Glenn Young. Um, okay. The fact that he's not not banned when he should have been is obviously an advantage. Uh, <laughs> He'll he'll he brings a lot of experience that he didn't have last year. Uh, Edinburgh's pack is is starting to look pretty interesting. You know they've always had this exciting backline uh, for mm. the last couple of years. Having Duhan van der Merva back makes a world of difference. Uh, Wes Hussein now is is finally ready to start playing. He's playing tomorrow. Um, but yeah, if let let's say Bill Mata because he's been away for a long time and and he'll be coming back and that'll be a big reminder for a lot of people. I think he was actually away long enough that I literally forgot he was on the team. Like he showed <laughs> back up on the field. I was like, Oh, oh heck yeah. Don't matter. And when, and when they, when they turned over Montpellier a couple of years ago, he was a huge part of that. Um, WP Nell was a huge part of that as well. And, and he's obviously like become some sort of weird ageless character. I think their their pack is their pack will be surprising, um, and and yeah, Glenn Young and Bill Matt are the two that I think I'd be keeping an eye on. Is WP short for something? I feel like every time I see it, there's no periods, so it doesn't look like an abbreviation. It looks like his name it is must be capital though. W capital P, but it has to be right. Yeah, I'll tell you right now. I'm going to go to his Wikipedia. It's William Willem Pe- Petrus Nell. There you go. Villain oh, okay. Petrus. There we go. I was on the right track. Yep. So. If you're Edinburgh and you somehow make it all the way to the final, hard to imagine, but if it happened, 
who would you least want to see on the other side? Uh, Leinster, probably. Mm. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of teams that you frequently see at the thick end of European competition that you'd have no interest in. You know, you wouldn't. I wouldn't fancy facing Toulouse. Uh, but Toulouse play a, a more open game. They play a more exciting game. They play the sort of game that Edinburgh can match up with. Um, for all that I've talking, I've just been talking about Edinburgh's pack being surprising. If they get into a fight in the gutter with Leinster, that's not going to go well for them. Um, mm. So of, of the known quantities, Leinster, Leinster are the ones who can neutralise Edinburgh the easiest. Um, Toulouse, you wouldn't want to see as an Edinburgh player, but I would love to see that. That's That would be an absolute dynamite game. What and you then, say about Leinster, are you talking about, is, is that because of the familiarity these clubs have or just because of how good Leinster are? Because, because of how good Leinster are and because of the fact that if you're a free-flowing attacking rugby team, uh, Leinster will go out of their way to make that impossible. And once they mm. do that, Edinburgh get into a street fight with them and they don't have the firepower and the carry in, in the forwards to compete. So if for Ed, when Edinburgh have done well, Edinburgh do well by playing really, really quickly, by getting Darcy Graham, Duane van der Merve on the ball, by releasing their backs as much as possible. And Leinster will stop the best teams in the world from doing that. How good has Darcy Graham been this year? Unbelievable. Ridiculous. He's magic. And he looks like he doesn't look like a pro athlete. He looks like he's come to, to read the meters on your house or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he's unbelievable. He's been I mean, we've known how great Darcy is for a long time, but he's been a he's been a revelation once again. Like he just keeps yeah. keeps doing it, keeps getting better. So my plan was only to talk, you know, Heineken Cup this particular time, skipping at least for now what Craig likes to call the Diddy Cup. Uh, Johnny <laughs> To be fair, I call it the Diddy Cup every year as well, apart from this year when Glasgow in it. Well, can you, <laughs> so please, if you could explain to my listeners, what does Diddy mean? No, just kidding, uh, don't answer. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I forgot to Wait, check if I was allowed to swear, so I'm glad that we're not there. Uh, so I do want to ask you about Glasgow, if only briefly. Um, so Glasgow, they, they have to play Bath twice. That seems pretty nice. And then they mm -hmm. have Perpignan, who are 13th out of 14th in the top 14. You know, what's your forecast for the Yosemite Sands this time? Glasgow had better win at least three of those games, <laughs> essentially. Um, I, feel, I feel sorry for Perpignan. You know, Perpignan used to be just a great European club. Um, mm. I've had some amazing players over, over the years. Chris Cusseter played for, for Perpignan, Scottish scrum half, for a long time. Um, and seeing what they've become, especially in such a huge rugby area, is a bit of a shame. And in fact, actually, you could basically just just clip that, copy it, and every time I say Perpignan, just say Bath, because they are basically the, they're in the <laughs> same boat. Um, Bath are frustrating because they're a team that's so much less than the sum of their parts. Like theoretically, yeah, Bath reason, should come to Glasgow. I always want to root for Bath, even though I don't. Like, for some reason, they make me want to root for them. <laughs> it's it's like a it's it's a bit of like a pity thing, I think, because yeah. and you know it's like exactly like I said about. Perpignan, they're a massive club, huge, massive old European pedigree. Um, the Rec is a really famous ground. They've got a team that should be a great team, and yet somehow they're just like, ah, uh, 
I don't understand it. But Glasgow should have enough to handle both of those teams, I think, home and away. That'll be famous last words. Wait till Craig hears that. <laughs> so the semifinals, of course, are still a million years away. And by that, I mean late April of next year. Um, but looking into your crystal ball, give me your top four. Who, who are actually still in contention as spring starts to show itself? For the, for the Champions or Challenge Cup? For the Heineken Cup. For the Heineken Cup. Exeter. Mm. Maybe. Exeter, one of those teams you can never be sure about in, uh, in Europe. I'm going to say Munster and Leinster. Both of them. Let's just, let's assume that they're bringing full teams and let's say the Stormers. Exeter, Munster, Leinster, Stormers. No French teams in the final four. If this, if the South African teams bring full squads, so there will be South African teams instead of French instead of French teams. If we get wow. South African academies, we'll get French teams. That's that's my big my big prediction for the Heineken Cup. It all the entire competition depends on what sort of squads the South African teams are going to use. So the obvious thing to do would be to ask you who you think is going to win the whole thing. But you know what? I think we should save that chance, maybe um, take a chance to revisit and chat again before it gets to the latter stages. Lord knows there'll be enough weeks off in between that we can find time. So maybe we save that for the next time we talk. Does that sound good? That's good. Yes, that's good. Yeah. So who do you think wins it all? (laughs) Monster. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) So... Johnny, so much fun to catch up. Uh, tell my listeners, any of them who have been living under a rock, where you and your pod can be found. Uh, they obviously can find the links in the show notes, but just just to hear it. Uh, yeah, so you'll get us uh, on Twitter at Scott Rugby Pod, uh, on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Scottish Rugby Pod, I think. <laughs> if you want to sign up to our Patreon, you will find it on the Twitter because it's a, it's a much longer address to remember and I can never remember it. Um, <laughs> If for some insane reason you want to follow my own Twitter, I am at uh, Johnny Forms, J-O-N-N-Y. And we've also obviously got the blog as well, which is at Scott Rugby Blog on Twitter or scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. When's the last time there's been a blog entry? Uh, Oh no, somebody wrote one uh, about tightheads. I don't know if it's been published yet. We gave gave it to Craig for for, uh, quality control. Oh, but it should, nice. it should be up. Should if it's not up already, it should be up in the next few days. Um, about oh, okay. uh, tight head depth in, in the Scottish national setup. So oh, wow. that's the sort of thing that floats your boat. Yeah, that, that sounds like a great read to me. I'll give you a clue. Johnny... It's uh, Xander WPNL, and then nobody else. <laughs> so it's like a, a pamphlet more than a book. <laughs> well, Johnny, my friend, I'm so grateful that I know at least one person on earth who follows the European competitions. It's just so cool. <laughs> for it every year thank you for making your triumphant return to the scrum of the earth i'm really happy to catch up and i am very serious about getting together to talk uh, talk more europe as it as the stages move on yeah let's do that it's it's, it's nice to be back and and uh, excited to come back and see all all of my predictions turn out to be absolute nonsense <laughs> and your european cup winners perpignan <laughs> <laughs> Okay, my friend, we will chat again soon. In the meantime, cheers and be well, my friend. You too. Speak to you soon. Nice to see you.